what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. Travelers, and welcome once again to the In Between Show. Double In Between Show, or this is number three, actually. Yeah, something um, like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is uh, pretty early on in the summer break from our before and after show, Summer Blockbuster Extravaganza Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason for that is because of release dates. Um, yeah. This week, the only movie coming out is The Nice Guys. And you don't want to go see Angry Birds, or... Is that this week? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea when that movie's coming out. It feels like it's, like, three years too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Gosh. And, like, I feel like it should just be called Angry Birds, colon, is this still okay? But, yeah. <laughs> or just Angry Birds, colon, that shruggy guy emoji? Yeah. <laughs> like, mmm. <laughs> Angry Birds, your <laughs> guess is as good as mine. <laughs> oh. So no, we're not going to see Angry Birds. Angry Birds, we're just in it for the money, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just happening. Wow. Okay. Anyway, wow. Uh, immediate tangent. But that's okay, because the in-between show is, is looser. Uh, anyway, so it's release dates, and... Nothing really came out this last weekend that was uh, worth talking about. When's The Shallows coming out? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> you know we should go see that. We should. And then just be like, just kidding. We just stayed at home and watched Jaws instead. Do you think it's just like a poor man's Jaws? I, <laughs> not even that, man. It looks like a poor man's open water. Which, open water was a poor man's job. End of June. Jaws. Jaws. End of June? Yeah. Uh, don't care. We can go as, like, a post-birthday present uh, for you. No. <laughs> nope. I feel like if I saw that movie, I would just get into a fight after because <laughs> I would need something to do. Somebody would probably be like, dude, it's, like, better than Jaws. <laughs> and then I would hit them. That's, that's how that <laughs> ends. I'd never, I've never been in a physical altercation in my life. And then you'd go to jail. You'd be arrested uh, yep. at the movie theaters. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> what would happen. Um, anyway, so release dates have, uh, kind of afforded us this opportunity to, uh, have kind of a looser, more open show. Uh, we have a topic we're going to get to, mm -hmm. but if you guys have been following on YouTube, we're back with the before and after show format over on YouTube. Yeah. Go check that out. This week we're talking about before the nice guys, mm -hmm. uh, it comes out this weekend. And so next Tuesday you can hear us talk about after the nice guys, but yeah. go find out what our expectations are for this movie before, uh. Before we go see it. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. We've put up lots of content on the channel. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff over there. If you're not over there, that's your loss. Uh, if you're not subscribed here, that's yeah. also your loss. Go check out MJ, um, his review of a reviewer. It's great. Oh, man. Yep. I feel like that. That's my pinned tweet on Twitter right now. People loved it, man. Did they? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm fine with that, I guess. But, yeah, so uh, before we get into the topic we have today, Corey, have you been watching anything? Um, 
Yes, I have. I've watched a couple things. Um, I randomly, like earlier this week, I watched a Disney movie. I watched Lilo and Stitch. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. Probably like since I was a child. Mm. I watched that just kind of on a whim. It was fun. I feel like it's one of those kind of like underrated Disney movies, but it's fun. I like it. And... The main thing I want to talk about is I finally got to watch Whiplash. Oh, yeah! Uh, my wife, Hannah, she was she was out of town for a couple days, and, like, in the past, I've tried to convince her to watch this film with me, and I gave her the basic premise of, like, you know, he's a music student at a conservatory, and, like, his professor is basically... Well, he's not basically. He is abusive, like, physically and mentally. Yes. And she was just like, no, I was a music major in college, and that's a little too close to home. And I was like, but it's so good. It's J.K. Simmons. No. So anyway, she was gone, and I went out and bought it and watched it, and it was amazing. Man, it was so good. It, it's a really good movie, man. Uh, I, could, I could talk so much about it. J.K. Simmons is incredible. He earned every ounce of that Oscar. It is such a... A raw like performance it's so good like just you want to hate this guy yeah man and miles teller does a great job too yeah and i don't like that guy yeah and he's great in that movie. he's really good in that movie and he does all his own drumming yeah and the soundtrack in the movie is incredible yeah i mean you're a big jazz guy yeah so, so i mean this movie was already just kind of like i had to see it, it was just a matter of when but yeah, yeah the soundtrack's really good it sounds like a lot of it was, like, live recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the film had a really small window of shooting and budget. They shot it in 19 days. What? Yeah. What? Yes. How did n- nobody on that set have some sort of crazy mental break after <laughs> that? I don't know. That's insane. I don't know if I could handle that emotionally. It, it man... It's hard to watch. I mean, like, it's really good, but it's one of those things, like, I know you mentioned, it's like, it was really good to see, but you're like, yeah, I got done watching that, and it was just kind of like, I felt like a weight. Yeah, it's just like, I need a nap. Oh, man. But it, it's so good. For for those of you guys who don't know, like, is the the whole premise of it is, like, there's a student played by Miles Teller. At, he's at a conservatory, and J.K. Simmons is, like, his professor, and it's basically him working through... Um, Miles Teller's character, like, working through all of, like, J.K. Simmons' harassment and stuff, because Miles Teller, like, has this desire to be, like, the best, like, the best, like, jazz drummer, and that's all his focus is on, and J.K. Simmons, his character is very much, like, he wants to bring up, like, the next kind of virtuoso jazz player. He talks a lot about, like, I want to make the next Charlie Parker. He doesn't really have, like, emotional care for his students. He just wants to make someone who's the best, and it's kind of like these two ideologies clash and kind of have like a symbiotic relationship with each other because jk simmons kind of sees promise in this young drum student but treats him like crap because you know he wants the very best and miles teller is like i want to be the very best so he's kind of seeking approval and he latches on to like this teacher even though this teacher is very like more morally uh gray in how he handles um his students but it was just fascinating. I love the whole kind of the end of like how the movie ends. Like, man, the last fifteen minutes are incredible. Yeah, they're really, really well done. And I <sighs> think the the overarching theme of the movie of like what is greatness, like and what does it mean cost? to be great, yeah. um, is really, really interesting. And it's yeah, and I I really like the movie's take on it. 
it's not just kind of like this really hard and intense stuff just for the sake of being hard and intense. It's like you get to the end and your expectations are a little bit kind of subverted and you're like... Yeah. I mean, how do you read the end? Because there are two kind of ways that I've seen yeah. the end where it's like... It's either super nihilistic and he is totally broken, this kid, or it's super hopeful in that this kid has transcended what this guy's narrow definition of greatness is yeah. and <clears throat> therefore can be his own person now. And I think you can re read both of those endings yeah. and you're correct. Yes, yeah. And I, I mean, that's kind of my initial watching. It was probably more of the the second, the latter that you were talking about, kind of, like, he broke through his teacher, but then just kind of, like, that ending was so good, like, after it finished, I I rewound it and, like, went back <laughs> and watched the, the same, like, section again, and I got more of the former, like, maybe he didn't, maybe yeah. it wasn't a victory, and I think that's, like, the brilliance of this film, that it kind of gives us kind of this soft ending, this soft resolution where it's like very much up to you as the audience to determine. And the movie's given you enough and the actors in this incredible way have like acted the scene so it's it's not a clear cut definition of like one or the other. Yeah, and I usually don't really go in for that kind of ambiguous stuff. Yeah. But this is the way to do it. Like, yeah, this it movie is... is probably the best ambiguous ending I've ever seen. Man, this this film, I it it was so good. I like I got finished with it, and I was like, man, this is one of like the best films I've seen in like a long time. It was it was really good. Even if you're not a musician, like if you it it has you know J.K. Simmons, he's pretty he's pretty ruthless in this movie. There's a lot of profanity and stuff, but from his character, but. If you're looking for a movie that is very well done, it's it's shot very well. Like, yeah. that's another thing. Just even, I remember you talking about, like, it feels like whenever they're there, it's kind of like a battle between them. Mm -hmm. Like, how J.K. Simmons, he's conducting, and Miles Teller, as he's playing, it's like the drum set is, like, his weapon. And it very much feels like that. There's, like, this intensity that goes throughout the film. And even just stuff like how the ending is shot, and even, like, the opening, how it starts in that long hallway shot. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. First-time director. It's amazing. Adapted from a short film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my favorite my favorite directorial moment in that whole movie is it's shot on Steadicam the whole time. Yeah. Until he finds out that he's been replaced as the drummer yeah. for some performance, right? Yeah. And he, like, when he goes in the office and freaks out on him, uh, and then it goes into this, like, Jason Bourne handheld, like, real shaky yeah. cam style, and that's, like, because he his whole world has been upset Yes, at this point. Um, it's It was just such a smart choice. Yeah. Uh, man, I, that was one of my favorite choices in the last probably decade that I've seen a director make. Yeah. Um, and, like, basically until Creed came along, it was like, that's some of the smartest choices I've seen this decade. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there was there was that, which, I mean, I think this new crop of directors we're getting, and, like, Damien Chazelle, who directed Whiplash, and Ryan mm -hmm. Coogler, who directed Creed, there's this new sort of... Um, this almost new... I don't know if it's a new wave yet, but this new school that's starting to form kind of on the... Uh, it's hard to say mm -hmm. on the edges of cinema since Ryan Coogler's directing a Marvel movie next. Yeah. But, like, Damien Chazelle's doing, like, a traditional uh, musical next. And so it's this kind of, like, on the edges of cinema, there's sort of this new idea 
cropping in that kind of marries some art artier sensibilities with some very mainstream storytelling yeah and i think it's working like gangbusters you know um because there's a lot of visual storytelling in both of those movies that really um seems kind of out of the art house thing but the the stories in you know creed and whiplash are very relatable yeah and but the way they are able to like visually convey their tone and their themes yeah thematically they're able to continue they're able to convey their themes through their visuals that's not something we see a lot of in sort of mainstream stuff right now i think we're seeing a lot more of that i think civil war had some of that um i think it's it's just this new way of filmmaking that's going to define this new era which i like because we finally have something to define this new era of cinema i think we've kind of been looking for what the next big cinematic movement is going to be Mm -hmm. and i think the next big cinematic movement is going to be the sort of like indie sensibilities smashing up against these sort of blockbusters yeah and i am for it i i am too after i saw this i was like what else has he done and he had that was his first one right yep he's written on some films yeah he wrote ten cloverfield lane yep which another kind of populist movie with some artier sensibilities (laughs) yep so man go watch whiplash it's so good it is incredible like i'm probably gonna make a favorite video and put it up on youtube it's so good man it was one of those where i'm like i i'm gonna buy this because i think i'm gonna love it and i loved it yeah so i need to give it another watch man i think it's been long enough because i basically haven't seen it since (laughs) it won best picture last year yeah or it didn't win best picture did it win best picture no it got nominated but um it i think it won three oscars okay so maybe like sound Sound something, design or direction, and then J.K. Simmons won Best Supporting. Right, right. But what the heck beat it? What? Jason? Wait, what? Whoa, what? This is a Bloomhouse movie? Oh, it won. It won Best Achievement in Film Editing mm-hmm. and Best Achievement in Sound Mixing. Yeah, that's definitely like I was like I'll go buy the soundtrack to this. It's so good. Yeah, man, I did not know this was a Bloomhouse movie. Sorry, that blew my mind a little bit. Not only did they shoot it in 19 days, they shot it for under $3 million then, because that's, that's his whole thing, Bloom, Jason Bloom, is shooting stuff under $3 million. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, they use the budget very wisely, and it doesn't... It's one of those films where it's like there's limitations, but watching it, like, I didn't... I wasn't, like... I didn't feel the limitations, you know? I didn't feel yes. like, oh, we have to keep coming back to this locale or this set because that's all we have it just felt very organic but it was able to tell a story bigger kind of than like you know just a couple places it was shooting it was so good oh man (laughs) i could talk about forever i won't i just i've been so excited to talk about it i'm trying to like explain it to my wife and she's like yeah that sounds awesome but like i will never watch that with you yeah uh, (laughs) you found your creed i understand (laughs) so i watched a few things um I had the opportunity to go see two silent films, yeah. and if you want to hear about that, you can listen to the episode I recorded with my wife, or the set of episodes I recorded this this last weekend with my wife. They're on the podcast page. It was pretty sweet. Yep, it was a really good time. Uh, my wife won two tickets to go back uh, to that theater or the other theater that American Cinematheque runs, the mm-hmm. Arrow Theater in LA. And yeah, it was a good time. But I've talked at length uh, in other episodes about those two movies, yeah. uh, Sparrows and The Black Pirate. And then I also got a chance to watch To Catch a Thief. Now, To Catch a Thief is 
a film from 1955. Yeah. Uh, I've been staying in apparently kind of a <laughs> certain type of cinema lately. Yeah. But um, it's, a, it's a film from 1955 starring Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. It's an Alfred Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. And it's about this uh, jewel thief who was in prison. And the prison got bombed and he escaped. But it was during World War II. And so he escaped and became a resistance fighter for France in World War II. Okay. To sort of pay back his debt to society and also to, you know, right the wrongs of uh, Nazism. Yes. <laughs> and, and so he was granted his freedom after that. And mm-hmm. he had turned to a life of just kind of hanging out on the French Riviera. Yeah. And he had given up being a jewel thief entirely. And a string of new jewel heists has started in the French Riviera. Yeah. And he is suspect numero uno. And he has to go clear his name. And that's the basic plot of To Catch a Thief. And it is great. It is so good. Uh, I was just, I was so entertained from beginning to end in this movie. Is it like a thriller or is it a heist movie? It's a thriller. Okay. Um, So what what happens after that is he decides to get in contact with this insurance agent in France, or this insurance agent from London who has clients insured in France, and he tells him, give me, like, your top five, um, the people who have jewels insured, like, the top five people uh, um, for the most amount of money. Mm -hmm. And basically, he ends up shadowing this uh, mother and daughter who are insured for something like $150,000 or something in in jewelry to sort of catch the thief. Oh, okay. Um, and so he's trying to, he knows the tricks of the trade, so he's kind of trying to catch that person in the act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some twists and turns because it's a Hitchcock movie. And, yeah. Um, the daughter finds out that he is uh, actually, he's posing <clears throat> as the sort of lumber lumber salesman from Oregon. Yeah. And the daughter finds <clears throat> out that he is this jewel thief, the cat burglar, John Roby. And kind of calls him on it, and then the mother's jewels go mis- missing, and she's yeah. like, "You did this," and so he has to clear his name now, not just in the eyes of the police, but to the woman who he's now fallen in love with. Yeah, and, you know, it's very Hitchcock. Like, yeah. if that the, <laughs> everything, none of that should surprise you if you've seen a Hitchcock movie. Like that, that sounds very much in his wheelhouse, and it is great. Uh, Cary Grant is the leading man. He plays Roby. Um, and he's very much in line with his character from North by Northwest, a film we yeah. talked about on the show. It's shorter than North by Northwest, which means it's tighter than North by Northwest, and I think I like it a little bit more. And that's a, it's not really sacrilege because Hitchcock doesn't have like bad movies. Yeah. But it's 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 a little bit of a stranger opinion to have. Yeah. Um, I just like that it's it's tighter. Yeah. It's a lot it's a lighter Hitchcock movie. It's not, you know, this sort of dread that yeah. you get with Psycho or The Birds or something. It's very, you know, light. Uh, yeah. Kind of like an Ocean's Eleven, like, we're having yeah. a good time. Um, you know, so it's got that kind of air of a heist movie of, like, yeah. oh, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but then it's got, like, this tension of a thriller where it's kind of this cat and mouse game between him and the new jewel thief. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a solid, solid, solid movie. Um, there's some stuff that plays a little dumb in 2016. Um, and not uh, not in like a uh, oh it's a different time like yeah. this is a little sexist or racist, but in uh, in just like there's some silly stuff in it like there's uh, there's this very like there's a scene with fireworks in it 
that is very... The fireworks are clearly an innuendo for them having sex. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's, like, there's a, there's a car chase that gets resolved... Literally on the joke of why did the chicken cross the road? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's just some, like, cheeky little Hitchcock stuff in there that yeah. I think some people would go in for, but, like, it plays kind of dumb yeah. in 2016. Uh, but, I, I mean, it's 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 pretty minor. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, it's just so, it's so good. And he shot it in VistaVision, which VistaVision was this sort of, it was... Uh, this precursor to 70 millimeter where they run mm-hmm. the film through the camera at a different um, way. Um, oh. So it's still 35 millimeter, but yeah. instead of running it this way, they run it this way. Oh. They run it on its side. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm doing visual <laughs> things on the podcast. So instead of running it, you know. Um, <clears throat> horizontally. Horizontally, they're running it vertically. Yes. Um, opposite. Instead of running it vertically, because they're, they're running it horizontally. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes way more sense. <laughs> so that's what VistaVision is. They basically flip the film stock on its side and run it horizontally instead of vertically. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a few films that are shot in that. Um, the Ten Commandments was shot in VistaVision. Okay. Uh, White Christmas, oh. for some reason, is the first movie to be shot in VistaVision. And uh, that was actually the first time uh, around Christmas time we watched White Christmas and I saw that it was, like, shot on Paramount Vista Vision, and I was like, what is that? Oh. I've never heard of it before. And then, since then, we've seen the Ten Commandments, and it had the shot on Paramount Vista yeah. Vision. And then, today, when I started to catch a thief, it shot on Paramount mm. Vista Vision. And uh, this is probably the one that looks the best to me. Mm-hmm. Out of all the Vista, <clears throat> the, out of the three Vista Vision pictures I've seen, it looks incredible. Yeah. Um, I also think that this would be a very fun movie to watch, and this is going to sound super strange to me, back-to-back with Inglorious Bastards, because his old uh, World War II buddies run a restaurant in the French Riviera. Oh. So it's kind of like this weird follow-up where it's like, here's what the Inglorious Bastards did after yeah, the war. After... They like started a, a restaurant yeah. in France. And that just sounds like kind of funny to me. And yeah. like I don't know, I connected the dots with it. Um, while I was watching it. But yeah, it's it's a solid, solid movie. Um, I mean, Hitchcock knows how to direct. Yeah. Plain and simple. Um, he knows how to direct. And yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, if you like Hitchcock, you should probably see it. Um, in a couple weeks, the Arrow Theater is actually showing it back-to-back with North by Northwest. Yeah. Uh, which I think would be super fun to go see. Yeah, that would be. Um... But yeah, I mean, it's readily available on Netflix as well. Yeah. And so yeah, you should check it out uh, to catch a thief. It's I might go movie. watch it. Yeah, it's. I think you would like it actually. I yeah. think you would like it a lot. Um, it's really funny. Yeah. There's a lot of like pointed dialogue mm-hmm. um, that I think you would enjoy. It's super well written actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time, man. I liked it. Um, yeah. So that's about all I watched. So yeah, let's talk some news. Uh, all right. I mean. <laughs> If you follow me on Twitter at all, you know this bit of news already, and that is all caps. Michael B. Jordan is gonna be in Black Panther, and I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. It's gonna be sweet. I'm so excited. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> we've already talked about the movie once on this podcast. Creed was my favorite movie of 2015. One yeah. of my favorites of all time. Uh, Ryan Coogler is just one of the best working yeah. directors today. Um, and I say that after the guy's only directed two movies and I've only seen one of them. <laughs> um, 
I just Black Panther is if you guys listen to the the Civil War episode, Black Panther already before this news even came out is my most anticipated <laughs> Marvel movie of all time. Yeah. I'm so excited for it. And there've been uh there's there's one casting rumor still going out which is that Lupita Nyong'o is mm-hmm. going to be in it. I can't imagine why she wouldn't be in it yeah. to, at this point to be perfectly honest with you. So, I mean, you're looking at a movie that has Chadwick Boseman, yeah. Lupita Nyong'o, and uh, Michael Louis B. Jordan yeah. in it. Gosh. Directed by... Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler, who is also co-writing the movie. Yeah. Man, I... Just so much excitement. I got... Like, huh. it was too much for my brain to handle. I know. I saw that news. And I was like, I have to tweet MJ. Yeah, you were <laughs> the one who actually broke the story to me. And my favorite part about this entire story, I don't know if I could get through this without just cracking up. Earlier that same day, the producer of the the Fantastic Four movies came out and said, uh, "Oh yeah, we were we're very hopeful that we're going to be doing a Fantastic Four sequel with the the same cast as as the previous one." And then, not six hours later, it was like Michael B. Jordan is going to be in Black Panther. And there was just like he shut that down very quick. Yep, he said no, thank you. I want to be in a real superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was that was some of the best, <laughs> the best timing. I mean, like that, I'm glad he's doing this because it's like if you look at his career, it's like he was kind of like a up and coming star, and Fantastic Four is kind of a derailment. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, people would still cast him in things, but it's just like, oh, that was an unfortunate mistake. I mean, the good news is Creed came out after Fantastic Four, so everyone was able to, like... Instantly associate, like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, Creed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that guy's got a super big career Mm -hmm. ahead of him. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things this movie's going to do is prove that a movie about and starring Mm -hmm. black people can open giant gigantic yeah at the box office i feel like this movie's gonna make a ton of money um i hope so gosh i mean black panther was so cool yeah he was one of the best parts of civil war yeah so So even before civil war just knowing ryan coogler was involved with black panther i was it was my most anticipated then i saw civil war saw how good chadwick boseman is in that yeah and then I got even more hype, and then I heard that Lupita might be in it, and I was like, yes, please. And then yeah. Michael B. Jordan signed on, and I was like, what is going on with this movie? It's like, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's going to be it's gonna be so good. Yeah. I'm, uh, gosh. I, I mean, I feel like at this point I could start a separate podcast about Black Panther news <laughs> um, and be content in my life. Panther I'm, watch. Yeah. I'm so, so excited <laughs> about this movie being a thing. Um yeah, uh, so I, I feel like we needed to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, that's a big story. Yeah, and then uh, we got a trailer for Assassin's Creed. Yeah. What did you think about the trailer? That's before the news even broke today that most of the movie is going to take place in present day. Yeah. Uh, the trailer came out late last week. What did you think about just the trailer? I When I first watched it, I was mixed, so I had to <laughs> go back and watch it again, but... Again, like I think I said on the previous podcast when we had Mike on, we were talking about video games, movies. Um, I think this has potential. Mm. Um, I saw it and I was like, man, okay, well, this, 
we'll see what happens, but it doesn't look terrible immediately to me. Um, there's some things, my main worries were kind of like how they're, how they're going to structure things. And so like hearing the news today about some stuff that has like kind of increased my, uh, my worry about it because I was like, I was watching it. I was like, Oh, okay. This, some of the action looks like it's going to be shot really well. And as long as we stay more in the animus, which is kind of like the time period and like not present day. And like, we make this a compelling thing. I was like, this might, this might, this might work. Um, and I think I was like thinking through, it was like of all the Assassin's Creed games, they chose the best time period to go to for this movie. Is it Uh, the one from the second one? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Spain in the 15th century. And I was like, that's the, that's the most critically like best received game. And so I was like, yeah, that's the best time period. If they take elements from that story, it's going to make that like the strongest emotional story. And so, yeah, I was, I was kind of like mixed to, I don't know what the word is. Still a little reserved. I'm still cautious. I tweeted something about like, okay, this looks interesting, but I'm still like, I still have a lot of reservations. So. Yeah. What about you, MJ? A uh, weird trailer. I thought it was a super weird trailer. I've yeah. only seen it once. Yeah. Um, there's a weird needle drop in there with a Kanye song. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Didn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, I don't know why they needed a, a, a needle drop in the in the trailer. Yeah. I feel like it would have been fine with just some like epic fantasy music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I left you speechless. My biggest problem with it was, and this is, I feel like this is so small and nitpicky, but there's this really dumb part where the camera's panning across the, uh, like the Spain, the Spanish yeah. like skyline, I yeah. guess you could say. And Marion Cotillard's character just straight up does a John Hammond impression. <laughs> she just goes, welcome to the Spanish Inquisition. And I was like, hold up. What? what? Wait a minute. We're just going to let this slide. Yeah. We're just going to, you just expect us to be okay with this. Yeah, that was a little bit like, ah, yeah. Oh, it was so weird. Um. You know, I I don't want to judge it based on this trailer or yeah. the news of the animus, or the, not being in the animus for most of the movie. Yeah, that's a little concerning. My, I mean, it looks good. It looks like they they like they made it look good. Yeah, um, like it looks like it's gonna be it's gonna look good specifically look good and. Fassbender's a super capable actor. Yeah. I don't think I've ever not liked him in anything. Yeah. Um, even X-Men Days of Future Past, which I didn't like. And I don't think he's that good in. I don't think he's bad in it. I think he's just bored in that yeah. movie. But he's still a good actor. Yeah. And he was incredible in Steve Jobs, one of my favorite performances oh, in 2015. Yeah. Um, so, he, I mean, I know the dude's got chops. Yeah. Um, so that has me a little, a little bit optimistic about it but there's i have a ton of reservations about this movie yeah um i do hope it does well so that we can get the next one um where it's present day and they have to go and get um lin-manuel miranda and all the people from Hamilton, plug them into the animus (laughs) to go back to revolutionary war times and then do hamilton for the revolutionary (laughs) war people uh, because that's the only sequel I can think of that I would want to see to this movie. That'd be sweet. 
That would be ridiculous. That'd be crazy. I feel like if there was any hope of that movie getting made, <laughs> you'd be like, "Yeah, I'd back it on Kickstarter." Yeah, <laughs> kickstart that movie in an instant. I would donate so much money. I would donate so much money to that Kickstarter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think that would be the best thing that's ever yeah. happened to movies. But uh, aside from that, I'm really nervous about it. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm kind of scared because I feel like they're putting a lot of their eggs in one basket. Yeah. This is the best Assassin's Creed story like to pull from. And so if this fails or they don't do a good job of setting it up, I don't think it's going to spawn a sequel. And I don't know. So... Are you more optimistic about this than Warcraft, or is no. it about the same? Uh, I'm more excited about Warcraft than I am this. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Warcraft looks better. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think I think Assassin's Creed looks better, but I think as a, a whole, whole, yeah, as a whole experience, I think Warcraft might end up being the better movie, which is not what I was expecting. To yeah. be perfectly honest, yeah. even though I am I am pro the Warcraft movie. <laughs> Um, and, and I do think it will be good. I did expect Assassin's Creed to actually be a better movie. And yeah. From the looks of it, I don't think that's going to be the case, but nah. we'll see. Um, it's also opening in a super dumb spot. Yeah. It's opening like less than a week after Rogue One. Yeah. I, no one's going to see this movie. Everyone's going to be coming back to see Rogue One again. Yeah. And they're going to be seeing it for the first time too. Like it's. Yeah. It's a really bad spot to open in. I don't know why they're sticking to that date. They should push it to November. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, I think this movie could open really well on a Thanksgiving weekend or whatever weekend the, the James Bond movies usually open. Yeah. Like, yeah. Second weekend in November. Um, I, I, th I think you could pull this off in a November release. I don't know about late December. Because like, yeah. not only do you have Star Wars, you have all the awards contenders yeah. coming out that week. Plus, you've got, because uh, Rogue One's coming out the 18th. Yeah. So, and then Assassin's Creed is the 21st. So you've got th three days, yeah. basically, leading into that. And then four days later is Christmas, where a bunch of movies open on yeah. Christmas. It's going to get lost in all of that. Yeah. I don't see, a, I, there's no reality that I have in my brain where this movie doesn't tank financially. I'm scared. I feel like it's going to be another Prince of Persia. I don't think it would be as bad as Prince as Prince of Persia, but I just think it won't find an audience. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think anyone's gonna show up for it. Yeah, yeah. Even if it does turn out good, like I mean, I'll probably see it. Um, just out of curiosity, I'll go see it. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I like Fassbender. Yeah, and, and he's ser he seems very passionate about the project. Yeah, but I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. That's what this is. This one is very much time will tell. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, we will take a short break and be back with a surprise topic. Yep. This week we're going to give you sort of a primer on the history of the summer blockbuster. Now, if you've listened to my Jaws episode from last summer's mm -hmm. uh, before and after show summer blockbuster extravaganza, you heard me talk about how that movie was very much the first blockbuster. So there's going to be a little bit of a repeat of information at the mm -hmm. beginning of this. 
Jaws was the first blockbuster. Um, it's MJ's favorite movie. It is my favorite movie. Uh, so Jaws comes <laughs> out in 1975, and it comes out in the summer of 1975. I can't tell you what uh, month. I don't remember off the top of my head. We weren't alive. Uh, no. no we <laughs> and at that point, summer was not a particularly high-grossing season for movie. Would you say it was like a movie graveyard? Yeah, it really was. Those were the dump months yeah. for studios, which is so strange to think yeah. about. <laughs> uh, you know, Corey and I, we have not grown up in a world without the summer Yeah, it's season. always been there. And uh, so 1975 Jaws comes out and people start lining up around the block to go <laughs> see this movie, uh, which led to the term blockbusters summer blockbusters now blockbusters came about in world war ii the actual term came about in world war ii during bombing runs so the bombs were called blockbusters because mm-hmm. they would bust the block uh in 1975 they repurposed the term to mean um you know people were lined up around the block so yeah. it was a blockbuster movie uh, 1976 happens, and The Omen comes out. It's a horror movie. Uh, mm. 1970s horror movies are great. It's the best, the best probably decade for horror. Oh, okay. Is the 70s, and it's a pretty decent success. It makes uh, quite a bit more money than it took to make the movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, it kind of seems like okay, there's you know two years in a row where we can open movies kind of big during the summer. Mm-hmm. 1977 rolls around, and Memorial mm-hmm. Day weekend. A little film called Star Wars opens. A little film. And, uh, uh, I mean, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. (laughs) Jaws is the first blockbuster, but I think Star Wars really cemented. Yeah. That's, you know, cemented what we know now as summer blockbuster season. Mm -hmm. Um, It opened May 25th, 1977. uh, Almost 11 years to the day before I was born. And... uh, you know, I mean, we all know the story of Star Wars. Yes, we do. <laughs> and uh, it made so much money and showed that, oh, yeah, now we can really make yeah. uh, make money in the summer with movies. And so the 70s end, um, and as such, you know, we get this escalation in terms of mm-hmm. releases of during the summer. Uh, they're opening bigger movies in the summer. They're making money. Yep. And then the 80s hit. Um nineteen eighty we see the Empire Strikes Back. Yes. And guess what? That made a bunch of money too. Yeah. <laughs> um because it is also Star Wars. And so as a result, we see a huge escalation in the eighties of mm. Summer Blockbuster. And I would almost argue that with the exception of present day, maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe the end of the nineties. There is not a better decade for summer blockbusters. Than the 80s? Than the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were looking at some of them yeah, earlier, and what were they? Uh, well, like, to some of the films. Mm-hmm. Um, All three Indiana Joneses yeah. opened in the summer of the 80s. E.T. came out. E.T. Uh, Tron. Tron, yeah. I'm gonna... Poltergeist? Yes, Poltergeist. Uh... Conan the Barbarian, yes. which was a hit. That that was a huge hit. Uh, I think the Terminator movies opened during the summer. Yeah, yeah. Die Hard yes. in 1988. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. So the 80s really, like, summoned the beginning of, yeah. of like... I mean, it was just this summer blockbuster boom. Yes. 
The 90s is just a kind of bad decade for movies. <laughs> uh, I, there's a lot of childhood favorites. I actually think yeah. family films were really good in the 90s. Yeah. And that's almost it until towards the end of the 90s. And then we started to get decent action movies. Yeah. But I think there are a lot of bad 90s action movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of bad 80s action movies, but they're in kind of endearingly bad. Yeah. 90s action movies are just kind of bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so with the uh, the 80s, we see this sort of rise in movies that can open during the summer. The Batman movie opened in summer of 1989. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, it opened a week after Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And uh, <laughs> Weird Al's movie, UHF, opened against Batman <laughs> in the summer of 1989, so no one went to see it, but... Uh, that's a that's 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 a summer blockbuster. That's one of my favorite summer blockbusters. We had all the summer UHF. blockbusters, man. I'm what? like I'm looking up a list. I'm like Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, mm. Aliens, yeah, yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> the '80s is the the <clears throat> films that can open in the summer. Yeah. The '90s brings about the star that can open a movie in the summer, and that star mm. 100% is Will Smith. Yes. Uh, in conjunction mm-hmm. with Jim Carrey. Yeah. And, I mean, we see those two guys kind of skyrocket to fame, and they're getting prime summer release dates for yeah. all their movies. Like, they reigned supreme <laughs> at the box office in the 90s. I very much have memories of, <laughs> of that being a thing. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm going to see, like, Wild Wild West... Oh my gosh! Yeah, or Men in Black. Men in yeah. Black was the big one for me. Yeah, um, Independence Day. Yeah, and that was the thing is like July Fourth was, gosh, yeah, that was, that was the weekend, man. Yeah, that's when all the big ones would come out. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was when you had the new Will Smiths or the new Jim Carreys coming yeah. out. You know, um, Independence Day, mm-hmm. uh, Men in Black, uh, Wild Wild West. All yeah. three of those opened. On 4th of July weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, those were, I mean, up through uh, Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Would open July 4th weekend. Like, yeah. July 4th was a powerhouse weekend. Definitely. At the box office. I mean, probably the highest grossing movies of the, each year for a while. Yeah. Were the, out of summer. Yeah. Were, were 4th of July weekend yeah. specifically. Um, and then... Right about after Spider-Man 2, yeah. as far as I know, it just kind of stopped. What changed? Well, I don't know, but <laughs> we have an in-between show scheduled later on this summer, and we're going to talk about that, Yeah, actually. We're going to talk about what happened to the 4th of July weekend, and I'm really interested to see what it was, because I yeah. don't know, it just seemed like, right, it just seemed like it yeah, just stopped. Just... Yeah, it's just kind of like, okay, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, and this year, 2016, we're getting a sequel to Independence Day that's opening two weeks before 4th of July weekend. Oh, yeah, that is very strange. I don't understand. Why wouldn't they just capitalize on the nostalgia of that yeah i well or just the name of the movie yeah even. it's like, independence day yeah like i feel like if this was independence day one there's no reason to not yeah you know um we're getting instead the big fourth of july uh release this year is the bfg 
which I'm excited for. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. It's a Spielberg movie. Of course it's going to be great. Yeah. He's the best director ever. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not a July 4th movie. It's just not. Um, you know, I think it's going to be super charming. I think it's going to be incredibly well made. It's a yeah. Disney movie, so it's got Disney money behind it. But it just does not, you know... Yeah. If you compare that to A Men in Black, it is two separate movies. Yeah. Uh, the BFG premiered at the freaking Cannes Film Festival this yeah. week. Uh, Men in Black did not. I yeah. guarantee you that. <laughs> and so it just, like, I don't, I don't know what happened. So this, I mean, I guess this is kind of going to be a cliffhanger episode that you have to yeah. come back for because I don't actually have the answer to this. Yeah. Um, but Corey, what are some of your favorite summer blockbuster memories? Oh, man. Um, well, definitely Spider-Man 2 is up there. Because, mm. um, you know, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man fan. Um, I'm just trying to find, like, a list. I definitely remember, like, all the, the Will Smith movies. Yeah. I mean, did you... Was that a thing for you? Like, you had to go see the new Will Smith movie I mean, when it came out? We, I mean, we would go see them. It mm. was... I would say definitely, like, when I was growing up. It wasn't, like, going to the movies was, like, the main thing, but it was definitely one of those things where it's like, hey, it's the summer, like, we can go to the movies more often. Yeah. Um, I have kind of two two really good summer blockbuster memories. One is the first time I saw Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, I was too young to have been seeing Jurassic Park. Yeah, I was Park. looking at the release date, and I was just like, no, I don't think I saw that movie in theaters. I did. I was five years old. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yep. I was coming to the end of my first year of kindergarten, and <clears throat> I was so into dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> so into dinosaurs. And uh, it came out near my birthday, and my dad took me for my birthday. And that, I mean... I almost think you can trace it, trace this back yeah. to that. Um, that movie blew my mind when I was a kid, man. Uh, maybe The Lion King, the yeah. year after, in 1994, is the one that really solidified, like, oh, this kid's obsessed with movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that was the one that, like, blew my mind into, like, the world of cinema with yeah. Jurassic Park. And... Yeah, like I said, I was probably too young to see it, but yeah. I also I, I, I was fine, apparently, yeah. in that movie. Um, I don't remember necessarily, but I remember being more scared of it as an adult than I was as a child. Yeah. And my dad was freaking out next to me. <laughs> um, movie terrified him, but also, <laughs> I just played with so many dinosaur action figures yeah. that I was like, well, yeah, of they course. They eat people. Yeah, of course it gets eaten. What are you talking about? Yeah. And then the summer of 2008... Um, that was a really, that was a really important summer in my life, um, because, cinematically speaking. Yeah. Um, because that year saw a lot of really good movies come out during the summer. Yeah, um, I remember some. Speed Racer, uh, don't care, really good movie. I missed that one. Um, Speed Racer, uh, Indiana Jones 4, mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, the I did, first Iron Man. Yeah, that was really good. That was a movie that caught me by surprise and went during the summer to see that, and I was like, "What? Yeah. It's really good. Still holds up." Yep. Um, the first Iron Man movie came out in two thousand eight. Uh, the summer of two thousand eight. The Dark Knight came out yeah, in the summer of two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, I want to say Scott Pilgrim maybe came out. No, Scott Pilgrim was the summer of two thousand nine. Um. Oh gosh, there were a couple. Oh, Kung Fu Panda One came out in the summer of two thousand eight, and I okay. love that movie. Yeah. I think that's such a great animated movie. Um, you know, there's a, almost every important cinematic event in my life I can trace back to a summer movie. Yeah, um, even as dumb as mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, a Laura Croft Tomb Raider, which we yeah. talked about in the video games <laughs> episode. That was a summer blockbuster. It's not a very yeah. good one, but it solidified my love of going to the movies by myself. It was the first movie I saw alone at yeah. the theater. Um, the first Shrek was the first movie I was uh, I was allowed to go by myself with my friends. Yeah. To see. Um, you know, and that was that was right near the end of school. Yeah, I remember. And uh, yeah, so I think I think summer blockbusters kind of hold a special place in my heart because I think. Yeah. So much of my intro into the world of movies has been anchored in the summer mm-hmm. that it's undeniable to me, you know, as much as I, you know, we have the, um, the podcast, obviously, yeah. and the before and after show film school. And as much as I love and have been getting more and more into like silent movies and classic movies yeah. and, and probably the last five years, like horror movies and stuff like that. I can never turn my back on the blockbuster. Yeah, you know, it's it's always been there, and yeah, sometimes there are varying degrees of like, yes, quote unquote, good for you, cinematically speaking. You know, yeah, um, or commercialized. Yeah, to for every Civil War, you got a Transformers. Or you know? Jurassic World. Or Jurassic World. World. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, but I, you know, there's also. You know, I, I don't think I will ever be able to achieve full film snob because of yeah. how much of my life has been uh, spent in a theater during the summer. Yeah. And I think that's super important. And I think that that has helped me ground myself as a critic. You know, um, there is a reason why the the summer blockbuster season is the biggest season on this show. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to say the, movie, the, hmm. the show is centered around... The summer blockbuster season, but, but it's def- it's definitely a bigger section, yeah, than yeah. other parts. Yeah. You know, it's it's we're putting way more work into this yeah. than we ever have uh, anything. Yes, regarding the show, and it's not that we just decided to care. We've always cared about the yes. show, but the summer blockbuster season is this sort of uh, it's this communal event that happens across the board. Yeah, now. and I think we're seeing an uptick in the quality of summer blockbusters. Yeah, um, you know, so we've been through these you know these seasons of like it's it's established 40 years ago 50 years ago Mm -hmm. 50 yeah 50 years ago um 51 i guess now it's established with jaws uh it's really solidified with star wars with star wars which is going to be 50 next year which is insane um that's so weird gosh episode eight man yeah uh yeah and you know that's going to be 50 next year and so it's it's been mm-hmm. a part of cinema for the last half a century. Yes. And we've just seen it escalate and get bigger and we've had these ups and downs with the you know like we saw the birth of it and then we saw it, like just this boom in the 80s and then these really bankable mm-hmm. stars in the 90s yeah. and then this real downturn I think in yeah. the 2000s. <laughs> um you know with the exception of maybe 2008. Yeah. Um 2008 is a great summer yes, for movies. Uh, gosh, so many good movies came out that summer. And then um, 2008 is kind of the, the the spark at the beginning of mm-hmm. the fuse that has kind of led to this. Uh, you know, the MCU gets yep. started. Uh, for better or worse, I guess, the yes. DC <laughs> universe gets started. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Nolan. Nolan really yeah. comes into his own with Batman in two thousand. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and he pays that off four years later with uh, Dark Knight. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, that then paves the way for, well, we did Batman, so let's do Superman now. Yeah. And then that paves the way to, you know, it wasn't a summer blockbuster, but it paves the way to, uh, you know, Batman v Superman. Like, you know, that was, that was, I think summer 2008 was really the kickoff. Yeah. To, I feel like it was a pivotal turning point for yeah, blockbusters. Yeah, and for DC especially. Yeah. I and mean, it was a pivotal turning point for Marvel, certainly. <clears throat> yes. I, I mean, the greatest cinematic <clears throat> experiment of our lifetime happens into begins yeah. in 2008. Love it or hate it. Yeah, um, and that is the shared universe. Yeah. Um, you know... Uh, uh, since the early 2000s, the mm-hmm. Fast and Furious movies. Oh, yeah. They've really come into their own, you know. They, they're they now March blockbusters, you know. And, and we're starting to see this thing where it's a little bit cyclical. A little bit cyclical. Yeah. In that, summertime used to be the graveyard months where all the studios kind of dumped the movies that weren't doing so hot or weren't going to get good reviews. Yeah. And now... We see, oh, we can open a blockbuster on Valentine's Day weekend. You mm-hmm. know, last year Kingsman opened really big on Valentine's oh, Day yeah. weekend. This year Deadpool opened gigantic. Yeah, yeah, no one expected on Valentine's that. Day weekend. Um, uh, what is it? Three, four years ago, uh, Furious Six opened huge in March Ooh. of all places. Uh, you know, um, it didn't open as huge as the studio wanted it to, but this year. Batman v Superman opened really big in March. Yeah, it did. Uh, Hunger Games opened really big in March. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so we're seeing this sort of almost reversal. Yeah. Where we're getting more blockbusters sprinkled throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good because it's really dry. Yeah. Know? Like, if we if we just regulate relegate summer blockbusters to summer, I mean, or if we just yeah. rele- relegate blockbusters to summer... And awards contenders to the last three months of the year, well, we got six months... Of nothing. Of nothing. Yeah. You know? Um, and you usually get, like, the beginning of the year sucks, and then the transition out of summer into fall sucks. Yeah. So, like, end of August through November is usually dry. Yeah. I'm hoping that's not the case. I don't know what's opening quite in this <laughs> in the fall yet, um, but I hope we, see, we start seeing this sort of uptick. You yeah. Know? I think blockbusters are proving... That they can, uh, they can open. Yeah, and they can open whenever. And I, I don't know. I think I think I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, I think we're at a very uh, big turning point. Yeah, I think we're on the upswing. Here's a question I have for you mm-hmm. as we talk about this, and you know, as we're both like, you know, part of the show revolves around us, you know, talking about films and giving expectations and film critics being film critics. Does the blockbuster have a place in today's uh, cinema? Because some people would argue it doesn't. And, you know, like, you know, the rhetoric is just like, you know, that it, it takes away from cinema because sometimes it's just like big and loud and noisy. What are, what are your thoughts on that, MJ? Um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about in the news section of this. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing more of these sort of indie directors directing these big name things and i think big studios are starting to look at these indie directors they're starting to take them seriously yeah we're seeing these kind of you know as particularly in horror movies 
we're seeing these kind of indie darlings being brought more to the mainstream. Yeah. Um, last year we had it follows. This year we've had Green Room and The Witch. Yeah. And you know it's it's a matter of time. Especially I don't know what it is about horror movies right now. We're in a big horror movie boom where they're better than they ever have been, and we're at least as good uh, <laughs> better than they have been since the seventies. And you know we see a lot of a lot of studios looking at the horror genre. Yeah. Um, Scott Derrickson, the guy who's doing Doctor Strange, got plucked off of uh, Sinister. Oh. Uh, James Wan, who's who did uh, the last Furious movie. Yeah. He's a horror director. The guy, he's the guy responsible for Saw. Oh yeah. Um, and The Conjuring, which was my favorite movie of 2013. Uh, and you know he got plucked out of that to do Furious Seven, and then he got plucked off of Furious Seven to do uh, Aquaman. Which he might not be doing anymore. No, he's doing it. Oh, is he? Yeah, he okay. tweeted, like, rumors is rumors, y'all. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's doing it. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that, um, that that studios recognize the power of indie cinema now. Yeah. It's easier than ever to get an indie movie made. It's easier than ever to distribute an indie movie with video on demand. Yeah. The audiences are growing for it. Um, and there's a lot of bad indie cinema out there. There's a lot of bad blockbuster cinema out there. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of good indie cinema out there, and there's a lot of good blockbuster cinema out yeah. there right now. And so, you know, I think the, I think the indie, the, the, we're seeing the rise of the indie blockbuster now, and it's going to mm-hmm. be interesting to see. Um, you know, Marvel, we were just talking yeah. about off mic, they have, well, Ryan Coogler, who came out of yeah. indie stuff, and then Taika Waititi, who's got, like, mm-hmm. one other... Two other movies by the time he rolls on Thor Ragnarok. Uh, he's directing Thor Ragnarok, and he directed a mockumentary about vampires with <laughs> a guy from Flight of the Concords. Like, that's the most indie movie I've yeah. ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's a great movie. He's a good director. Yeah. Um, by all accounts and purposes, uh, for all intents and purposes, <laughs> and by all accounts. Yeah. Uh, his new movie, which I don't remember the name of, is incredibly charming. It's this, like, super fun family comedy. Uh, it's But it's an indie family comedy. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there's certainly a spot for it, and I think we're just going to start seeing a blending. Yeah. Um, I think the lines are getting ready to get blurred. Yeah. And that's what a lot of culture is right now. Yeah. Is, you know, everything's a mashup. So people who listen to the podcast... You know, you guys don't have to feel like, you know, oh, I I like to go see those kind of like blockbuster type movies, but I don't, you know, it's like, does that make me like a lesser person who appreciates film? Because I feel like a lot of those lines are blurring in terms of director crossover and kind of like different styles, like you were talking about, like bringing different indie directors into the fold. Yeah. Yeah, well, that and um, I read an article this week about that specifically um, on birthmoviesdeath.com uh, by Devin Faraci, of all people. Mm-hmm. And he said, basically, like, if you're one of those people who, like, just engages with, like, the Transformers movies. Or, yeah. Or, like, cinema serves purely as entertainment for you, first and foremost. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, even though as cinephiles, it kind of, you know... That's the stigma. That... Yeah, it kind of, like... Comes across that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just that you have to understand that people don't engage in your art form on the same level you do, and that has to be fine. Yeah. And the example he used, which I super related to, is like video games. Yeah. Right now is the best time ever for indie games with these super high concepts and these really like 
hard thematic things. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's deal- they're dealing with more issues than ever, a broader range of issues than ever. Yeah. And uh, I kind of hate them. <laughs> You're like, not my thing. Yeah, I'd rather sit down and just, like, shoot some people yeah. in a video game, you know? Like, I'd, I'd much rather play, like, a Grand Theft Auto yeah. than, like, a Braid. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, uh, I think video games are more than ever becoming their own art form. Yeah. And uh, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that, that there are certainly people who feel that way about cinema. Yeah. And, or um, anything. Or music. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, music, we say, like, pop music's gotten worse, but, like, any music's gotten way better. So, like, yeah. you know, there's... And that's the other thing, too, is, like, there's always, uh, for everything bad that you see going on, there's always something, like, some sort of movement on the other end yeah. of it that you can gravitate towards, too. So, if you're one of those people who's, like, super anti-blockbuster, you're dumb, but also, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you can gravitate towards your indie movies. It's way easier to see them now than it yeah. ever has been. Um, if you're someone who hates current pop music, I understand. That's uh, me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> go listen to Jason Isbell. He's great. Um, you know, if you're someone who loves in- or who hates indie games, go buy a Call of Duty. Or Battlefield 1 looks dope. Yeah. That's like a super huge AAA game. Like, I haven't cared about AAA games in a long time either. I still don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, but, like, Battlefield 1 looks so cool. Uh, I've never played a Battlefield game. I feel like it's going to hinder me a lot, but (laughs) I think that looks so cool. And, like, Rainbow Six Siege looked, was, Mm. I mean, it was poorly executed, but it was such a cool (laughs) concept, you know? Yes. Um, But that's a, those are both pretty base level engagement in video games. Yeah. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, if you, if you're on one side of the spectrum there, you can all, and you don't like that side of the spectrum, you can always switch. Yeah. You know, you have the choice. You can vote with your wallet. All this to say is that like you guys listening, I don't want you to feel like, well, I'm not into those really indie niche films, like niche films. Like, you know, we were talking about Whiplash earlier. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch something like that. And that's fine. You don't have to. And you could be like. Uh, you know, something like one of these big blockbusters opening this summer, I'm more into that, and that's totally okay. There is, I don't think there should be this stigma of, like, kind of, I'm a cinephile, or this kind of, like, we're better than you because we watch these movies and we have a deeper appreciation. It's like, that's, I don't really think that's what the art form is about. No, it shouldn't be. It's not. And that's what, like, that's what bothered me so much about the Batman v Superman situation we saw earlier, is it was just, like, both sides just really imploding and attacking each other. Yeah. And just, like, none of it did anything to edify the appreciation of yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, this is a good discussion, man. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MJSmith891. And I'm at CatInTheHat49. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Before and After Pod. That's at Before, the letter N, After Pod. Uh, email us, Before and After yep. Show at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. New video every Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, sometimes some bonus, bonus videos. stuff, yeah. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now you can find us on Stitcher. Yeah, We're on baby. Stitcher Radio now, so... Um, Go yeah. stitch it up. Yeah, if that's how you get your podcasts, you can get your podcast through uh, through Stitcher, and you can get us through Stitcher now, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so subscribe on all those things. Leave us a review. And uh, until next time, go watch Whiplash. Yes. Do, do.
Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>